everyone, this is Belinda Granger here, and this is The Greg Bennett Show. Any questions? Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just finished an absolutely delightful conversation with a longtime friend, Belinda Granger. And honestly, Belinda has to be the most passionate person you could ever meet in the world of triathlon. And listening to this episode, I'm sure you'll agree with me. Her career as a professional athlete was absolutely remarkable, winning 15 Ironman distance events. And for 20 years, she was one of the all-time best in the world at that distance. And we go through her journey as an athlete in this episode. We really dissect her passion and recognizing her strengths and when did she go all in and and just some of the career highs and lows that she had. We also discussed transitioning out of the sport and her roles into becoming the pro liaison for Challenge Roth and then also being just such an amazing commentator for both the PTO, the Challenge family and also Clash Endurance and I'm sure many of you have heard her voice. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. I absolutely loved it. Before I let you go, a little bit of housekeeping. First and foremost, I just want to say thank you so much for listening and sharing. I'd love any feedback or advice. I really appreciate that. Please keep it coming. Also, I'd love you to go check out Any Question. That's Any Question, one word, on iOS or Android. We now have over 20 channels, over 750 experts, 45,000 answers that you can go in and listen to some of the world's best and greatest share their knowledge, whether that's in the sports or in healthcare or whether it's something to do with pets. We've got some of the greatest pet trainers now on the, on the platform. So go check it out. That's Any Question on iOS or Android, or you can go to anyquestion.com and go check it out on the, on the web. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right, today I am joined by an Australian triathlon legend, a 15-time Ironman champion, now a triathlon commentator and the pro liaison for the Challenge Family Triathlons. She was recently inducted into the Triathlon Hall of Fame for Legends of the Sport Award, which I just think is so appropriate. I love that award that it was given to her. And, and I just don't, I can't think of anybody more deserving. Honestly, it's just such a great award. She's also an Australian Ironman Hall of Famer. And most importantly, she's been a good friend of mine for, I think, over 30 years. Now, I'm really dating both of us by saying that, but I think it's almost 30 years. And of everybody I've had on this show, I don't think anybody has been a friend of mine for, for that long. So this is really quite an iconic episode. I, I'm just truly honoured, privileged and excited to have her join me today. So welcome and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, Belinda Granger. How are you? I am very, very well. And let me just say thank you for having me. I've, uh, I've seen some of the people you've had on your show, athletes and uh, famous, famous people, and I feel exceptionally honoured to uh, finally get on this I've show. written you multiple times to come onto my show. <laughs> Please, listeners, know that I've wanted uh, BG, Belinda Granger, BG we call her, on the show many, many times. But this woman tracks around the world nonstop, is, is one of the busiest people I know, and I should say productive because she gets a lot of stuff done but just I mean even this year I, I, I saw on your Instagram you're like that was a big year I went to the US three times Europe twice Canada oh, Phuket it was it was a crazy year it really was I mean 52 years of age I'm supposed to be slowing down but if anything I think I traveled more times 
to more countries this year than I did when I was actually a professional athlete. So it's pretty crazy. I got to say, you know, I mentioned it in the introduction there, massive congrats on the Legends of Sport Award. And the fact that you were inducted with two of our very dearest, closest friends, both Marinda Carfrey, Rinny, and uh, Craig Alexander. Crowy, you know, like two of the best people you and I know that I saw that photo and I must admit there was a little bit of like homesickness and just want to be a part of that with all of you guys. That was so cool. Look, it was a really, it was a really interesting situation because I'd actually missed the initial email that Michelle Cooper, president of, of Triathlon Australia had actually sent to me telling me that I'd won this award, this Legends of the Sport <laughs> Award. So, of course, typical Belinda, she'd missed it. I was actually down in Byron Bay at a wedding um, and with all intentions of coming back home to Noosa on the, on the Sunday. We had such a good time in Byron and our Airbnb that we, we had down there was so amazing that we decided to extend for an extra night, which we're so glad we did because it meant that we got to go to these awards because finally they sent another award, so, uh, another email saying, oh, Belinda, just checking in, did you happen to get this email? <laughs> and, of course, I hadn't. So they sent it again. So I, I literally found out about the award, I think, on the Thursday or Friday and then the awards were on, on the Sunday night on the Gold Coast. Uh-huh. And so we were travelling back through. So we went and, yeah, to, to have Crowey and Rinny, who, like you, yeah. are two incredibly close friends of mine and have been for a long, long time. Time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a pretty special night, but I always joke and say the I got the Legends of the Sport Award, which is it's really another way of saying an old farts award. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You just been around long enough. You just keep. Well, you won't go away. <laughs> exactly. Still in the sport. Still hanging around. They're like, geez, we have to give this girl something. She's been in it for too long. You haven't just been involved. You, you you've been passionate about the sport. You've loved it. You've lived it. You you share the stories. You there's an energy about you that has been there from day one. And, and I was trying to think, I think I actually met Justin. You husband. did. You, used to, you, you met Justin first. I um, raced him at the Milo I, race in Botany Bay exactly, in, in exactly. 90, 98 when we were 16, I think. So. <laughs> still, I was literally still at, still at school. So, and so was he. Uh, and I think he, then he raced you in the Nike series a few times. Yeah, yeah that's right. This is way before my time because yeah. I was a bit of a late bloomer when it came to um, to triathlon. Mm. But there, yeah, once, um, once we met, I think for the very first time, was back with Mark Fuel. Yeah, I remember yeah. Fuelly and, uh, yeah, been friends ever since and uh, have seen the sport grow and change over and over and over again. Mm. Uh, and I think you like me though, GB, I think we've both, it was always going to be more than just a, just a sport or, or a way to make a living. Mm. I, I don't think it's ever just been a way to just to, to, to make a living. I think it's always been something very, very close and dear to our hearts and, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but I think triathlon's probably even more important to me now as a 52-year-old than it was when I was actually racing mm. back in the day. So I, I just I love it. And I, I, I get more satisfaction now watching the young ones come through and make something of themselves and making and making a career for themselves. I get more satisfaction out of that now than I did winning my own titles, mm. which seemed like, seems like 100,000 years oh. ago now, but, you know. <laughs> it's amazing. Laura and I often talk about that. Just not only does it seem a lifetime ago in terms of we just can't believe how fit we were at one point of our lives. Like now we're very normal people, like very, very normal. Actually beyond, like I'm kind of look back and go, <laughs> I'm trying to run a 5K now and, oh, my goodness, it hurts. And I, oh, I, I just, I look back and go, we used to do a, a 10K warm-up run on a Thursday morning. It wasn't even written down as training. It was just to get ready for a 100K time trial bike. Like it was, the, 
I just, I'm not trying to self-promote here. It's more just sort of saying, looking back at how fit we were <laughs> and then going, wow, it's I amazing know. what you can do if you just keep turning up and doing something over and over and over again. Well, let's do this. Yeah. Let's, let's rewind the clock. It's one of my favorite things to do with, with all my guests and really just get an understanding of how you first came into the sport of triathlon, how you found your passion. You know, how, when was that? How old were you? What year was that? To be brutally honest, my, I, mine was by default. Uh, I remember I was always a really active kid and also all the way through high school. In primary school and the first years of high school, I tried everything and, and my mum, it used to make a head spin and eventually got to the stage where you're going to have to pick one or two sports, Belinda, because we can't keep paying mm. for all these uniforms, etc., <laughs> fees for all these different sports because I, I just used to get bored. Mm. Uh, so eventually I did find my sport and that was gymnastics, which I did from about 10 years of age till 17, um, almost to the end of school, and I loved it. And I went to university and I'd stopped doing all sorts of – I didn't do any competitive sport when I first started uni. I kept myself fit, yeah. went to the gym, but I wasn't doing anything specific. And I remember, distinctly remember waking up one morning, I think it was second year uni, and, of course, I was at university doing a uh, Bachelor of Human Movement, so mm-hmm. basically a, a fancy, way of saying, mm. fancy way of saying PE teacher. Yeah. Um, and I looked in the mirror and I absolutely hated what I saw. I saw this unfit, overweight young woman – And it was everything I didn't want to be and couldn't believe that in two short years I'd gone from being a super fit teenager Mm. Mm. to to this unfit, overweight, and, yeah, I, I really got quite depressed. And so I sat myself down and thought, well, I need to find something that I'm going to stick to, that I'm not going to get bored of after six months or so. And that's when triathlon popped up. I think a friend of mine from a surf club, because I was involved at the Coogee Surf Club at the time, said, you know, there's this new sport and it looks pretty cool and it involves three different different sports in one. We should just give it a try. And I did and never looked back. But the funny thing was I only did it to keep fit. I never dreamt in a million years <laughs> that I would, would make a, a, a career out of it. I was just doing it as an age group athlete to lose weight. Uh, I was doing joined the local triathlon club, the Bondi Brats, which to this day – I credit with getting me into the sport mm. and that's, of course, where I met Justin, my mm. now husband, and he was the one that actually said to me one day, you know what, you're actually pretty bloody talented at this. You could make something of yourself. And I laughed. I remember thinking, don't be ridiculous. You know, I'd never ridden a bike before. I'd, I'd swum as a kid uh, and I'd swum squat as a kid, but nothing nothing serious. Um, and probably the only thing that I'd done since I was very young was athletics was, was running. So that's something I did enjoy. And I loved cross country running throughout school, but I gave it a go. And from there, you know, the the rest is history. I just, uh, I loved it, got better and better, made a pact with myself that if I ever won my age group at a world championship event, that that would be my pathway into turning Pro. Wow. And I, I went and did the World Champs when the, the very first time they were in Perth in Australia. And mm. I, not only did I win my age group, I won the age group race outright. So that was that was it. And I, I said, well, you know what, you made that promise to yourself that if you ever won, that you would have a go at, at, at turning pro and see where it took you. And yeah, the rest is history. I didn't know that. I So that was 97, the first World Champs yes, in Perth. exactly, and, um, exactly, yeah. I, I was racing pro at that time and I didn't know you'd won the 
amateur overall. And that, for listeners, that's in, that's in the Olympic distance too. I mean, we're not talking, you know, no, what, what, beca- what became you known for. I mean, yes. you, you, you can just keep going and going. But it was it was in the Olympic distance. Wow, I did not know that. I think, you know, who else was in that race was my wife. I think she raced ah. age group and I think she oh, finished. That, sec- so that means I beat her. Sweet. I think you beat her. <laughs> Did, did the juniors, I don't know, would she be a junior? How old was no, she? No, she was probably, she would have been a junior. No, well, 22, sure. 21, 22, oh. 97. Yeah, so so maybe under 23, 20, 25. I think she raced that as an age grouper. Um, so you beat my wife there. There we go. <laughs> we, we can wrap up the show now. <laughs> yeah, beautiful, done. Beautiful, love it. No, I was 25 to 29 age group and yeah. Um, yeah, I remember winning it. I had a sprint finish actually with another or might have even been your wife. I, I know it was a very, very close finish in the end. So, um, but yeah, great race. And as I said, it was, I'd made this pact with myself that if I did, and I don't, maybe, maybe deep down, I didn't even think I would. So I was keeping myself safe. But as soon as I yeah crossed the line and had won, I started racing professionally. I, I found out very, very quickly though, GB, that Olympic distance was probably not going to be my forte. Mm. But that was back in the day when Olympic distance was still draft illegal mm, mm. so we the draft legal racing hadn't been brought in yet so I was still trying to make it as, as an Olympic distance athlete I raced the World Cup when it was in Sydney um, and I remember racing Noosa triathlon and that was the very first year that they'd bought, bought a World Cup or one of the first years they'd bought a World Cup to Australia where it was draft legal mm. I didn't race the World Cup I raced Noosa instead uh, and end up winning it but then I realised, you know what, I'm really not cut out for this short course business. The, the longer a race went, the better I went. So it wasn't long before I realised that if I wanted to make a go of it, it was going to have to be over the half distance or full distance. It's one of the things that I truly admire about you most is that you identified what you believed your strengths and talents to be very early, very quickly. And so in doing so, you were able to to have such a long sustained career and you went sort of jumping from one one type of event to the other it was like no this is this is the direction I need to go and and was there when you sort of said okay the short's not for me as much I mean you were still great at it but obviously but you knew you could be better at the long was there an event or was there a moment where you're like okay I know I'm good at this this is where I need to be it's funny because I liked the longer events but if if I even to this day, if you ask me what was my favourite distance, it was definitely, remember the old Sri Chimoy mm. races we used to do mm. down in Canberra? That was like a 260 um, or 280, two, 20. 280, 20, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that yeah. was my favourite distance, yeah. 280, 20. And I did, I did loads of them and loved them. Mm. Um, and then, of course, half distance came into, into play and I, I liked that distance as well. Uh, but it was when I did my very first Ironman at Foster Tunkari. Mm. Oh, my gosh. And I think it was back in, I can't even remember what date it was. It was, it was maybe 99. Yeah. It was the first year I did a full distance race. And I DNF'd. Um, and I trained very, very hard for this distance because, like you said, I was a realist. I've always been a realist. Mm. Uh, I knew where my strengths were. I knew what I was going to be good at. And even though I wished that I could have, been better at the Olympic distance, it was never going to happen. And back then also, GB, you couldn't really make a living from being a half-distance athlete. You can no. now. Yeah. But, of course, back then that was you were either a long-distance, full-distance 
triathlete or you're an Olympic distance triathlete. Mm-hmm. There was nothing in between. Yep. And I remember thinking, okay, you're going to give it everything and your distance is going to be over the full distance. Ironman's going to be your thing. And I remember lining up for my very first Foster Tongue Curry thinking I was going to set the world on fire. This was it. <laughs> and it was the one and only time that I, 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 I will honestly say I think I was too cocky. I was on the start line and I thought I was going to blow blow everyone to smithereens. Well, the only one that got blown up was me um, because I uh, I didn't count on getting a flat tyre oh. and it was the first time I'd ever used um, singles, so yeah. tyres glued on. Couldn't take it off because I'd never practised it before. Uh, I sat on the side of the road for 30 minutes and, long story short, ended up DNFing. So I DNFed my very first yeah. full-distance event and I think I cried for at least two weeks post race because I'd failed at something that I I so genuinely thought I was going to not only succeed but Mm. set the world on fire. But I learned such a valuable lesson that day that I never went into another race again uh, with that sort of attitude that I was just going to blow everyone to smithereens. I had a lot more respect for my competition from that day onwards and, you know, Luckily, happy to say that there was only ever one more DNF exactly 10 years later. So not a bad record, but... Um, That's yeah, fantastic was- record. I love, I love that you were able to just learn from that, though. That, that really yeah. is the difference between a champion and somebody that just... Mo- you know, like there's something to learn from all of these lows, you know. And, Absolutely. Yeah. GP, I still say to, to, to every athlete today, when I, and, you know, and obviously with my role with Challenge Family and Pro Liaison, mm. I speak to, to all of the, some of the best triathletes that we have at the moment, but also some of the up and comings. And I always say this, the most valuable lesson I ever learned was there's no such thing as failure. And I know it sounds a little tacky and, you know, but there really isn't. There is no such thing as failure as long as you can take one positive Mm-hmm. from that from from that failure and and I took a positive that day and it stayed with me and, and still resonates with me to this day is that you know I never went whenever got to a start line ever again thinking that I was just going to blow everyone to smithereens and, and set the world on fire that I had respect for my competition I had respect for myself I was going to do everything I could to get across that finish line in first place but um, I just, yeah, I just lost that little bit of that naive cockiness that I think a lot of young athletes have when mm-hmm. they start and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I just think you need to keep it in check. Oh no, this sport will slap you around. I oh think, yes. <laughs> I think we've all, I've got, I've got a similar story and I'll bring it back to me real quick. I remember 2002 going to do the escape from Alcatraz triathlon and at the time it was NBC sport, you know, live television and, uh, and I'd flown in from racing and won the world cup the week before in Japan. I thought, okay, I've I've got to just try and be a minute behind Craig Walden out of the water and be, you know, within, get off the bike with Chris McCormack and and I've got this one because I'm running really well. And I have this race where I get off the bike, I get out of the water with Craig Walden, get off the bike with Craig, uh, Craig, no, a minute in front of Craig Walden. And I have this massive lead on these guys and off I go. And I'm like, rather than, this is the mindset I had, rather than going, okay, go for the win, take it easy. These guys are solid. I'm like, I'm going to effing destroy these guys. Like I want to, I want to <laughs> retire. <laughs> and I ran that, I ran to the beach. Anybody's done Alcatraz, it's a very tough run. And I run all the way over to the beach and I, and I see them and they're now three and a half minutes back. Macca gives me the high five, you know, he's all happy. Go get him, Greg. You know, he's a good guy like that. And I go up the sand ladder. I'm like, oh, a bit, bit tired. I get down the single track and I'm on the way to the, you know, I've only got about two miles, three K to go. 
And I find myself just starting to get head spins and all of a sudden I just blacked out and fell over. (laughs) But it was the best lesson because I never, I crossed every line from that moment on, no matter how much I thought I had a one, it wasn't one until I crossed that line. It was the, it was the best lesson I ever could have learned. Um, so yes, <laughs> I get it. So, Very similar story. Yeah. So, so you, um, at what point then you got, you know, you turned pro, you've given Ironman a go. At what point did you sort of say, okay, I'm going all in here. I'm now a professional athlete and I, I need to jack this up and really fire the gun properly. Well, it's hard because, you know, I, I'd had such a lousy start to what I thought was going to be the start of, of my professional career. Mm. There was there weren't that many Ironman races around when I first no, started. You know, no. you'd have to travel yeah. a long way. And so when I, you know, deemed, got that big fat D and F next to my name uh, after Foster Tung Curry, I had to find another race that year. Now, Foster was, we were lucky it was at the beginning of the year because it was the Australian summer. But I was just starting. I wasn't really traveling at that particular yeah. point in time as a professional athlete. I didn't have the funds to travel. And I was just lucky enough that there was another full distance race happening up in Cairns, which has now become the Ironman Cairns. But mm. back then it was started um, by a, a lady called Linda Rowan, was one of her little pet events. And they just decided to have a race up there, which was full distance. I thought, you know what? I just need to get the monkey off my back. Mm. I need to go and do this race. I think there are only two women in the race uh, and probably about eight men. So it was very, very small, professional racing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, and then a bunch of age groupers. But went up there, didn't break any times. I think I I only just managed to break 11 hours. So didn't do anything stupid, just wanted to finish to prove to myself that I was able to do it. So still still had that age group mentality, I must admit. I I, I don't think I truly believed I was – a fully-fledged professional athlete. But after I finished that and realised, you know what, I can do this, it was just, you know, I went in with the wrong attitude for my very first one. The year after that, that's when I really started to take it seriously. And, and Justin and I started to plan races within Australia still, not so much. I mean, we also at that stage there were hardly any races in Asia, yeah. uh, which became quite a popular place for me to race. It wasn't until the early 2000s, and I was still working full-time as a teacher, I said to Justin, you know what, if we want to make it in this sport, we, we really need to give up work. Um, he was working for one of his great friends, Greg Rule, bringing mm-hmm. in Continental Tyres, Ready Project. Mm-hmm. I was working as a phys ed teacher in Woolloomooloo in Sydney and we said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go all in. We, did, we Let's do it. We do it for one or two years. We go all in. So we retired, um, resigned from our jobs and moved north because we knew that living in Sydney, it was just too difficult to train full-time. I mean, you're from Sydney originally as mm-hmm. well, so you know what it's like. It's just too busy. As a full-time athlete, you want to be able to train at all times of the day, not just early in the morning and late in the afternoon, which is what you did as as a full-time working athlete. Justin said, well, I've trained up in this little town called Noosa, uh, and it's pretty cool, Belinda. It's, it's got some great training. There's a, really, there's a really good coach up there. He was a really good athlete. He's now turned coach called Nick Croft. We'll be able to do some swim squads with him. And so we, we, we did the, made the move and we moved up, kept our place in Sydney because we owned a little apartment in um, the eastern suburbs, said, well, we're not going to live up here permanently because it's, it's boring. It's just a little town in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we'll just do it while we're athletes and, yeah, and see how it goes. So we moved up in the early 2000s and have basically never looked back and it's home now. So I think we've been here in New for 
coming up to 20 years. Mm. And as you know, I mean, I think you too, you and Laura were the only two athletes I know that probably that were here before us uh, up here training. So you knew about the little, the little secret spot, but yeah, once we moved to Noosa, that's when we fully committed to being full-time athletes and really making a go at it. I remember that. I remember that you guys coming up and yeah, for people that don't know that the Noosa triathlon every year is one of the big festivals of triathlon in the world, not just in Australia. Oh, absolutely. For Australians, it's almost the way that we start our season off, you know, the beginning of November there. And everybody travels from Sydney and Melbourne and around the country up to Noosa. And it's a big festival of sport. And and I remember doing that race in 93, 94, 95. (laughs) I did it many years. And and then I would start doing my own training camps up there, you know, in the mid to late 90s, just go up. And there was no Noosa Aquatic Centre. I'd have to go out out the back to Tewantan to the 25 Tewantan, that's right, the 25, still there. But then, but then they built this amazing aquatic center, and I remember in two thousand, um, it was after the Olympic Games. Simon Whitfield had just won the Olympics. That the Canadians wanted that I was training with at the time wanted to do a camp in Australia, and so we picked Noosa, and so that yeah. was sort of the first sort of time Lance Watson and that whole crew came down, and we we did then Noosa training camps for forever like you guys um but you guys now own a home there you've been there for many many years i love watching your instagram and seeing everybody and all your friends and um the whole gang um and it really is one of the coolest places in the world to live um, i'm very envious of the fact that you're in noosa yeah look it, it's it's come a long way and honestly even for the first couple of years up here though greg we still didn't look at it as home it was just a place to base ourselves before we then traveled over to europe because obviously that's where justin and i mm. decided that our careers would continue when it got cold here, when the winter months here. Uh, so we used to spend a good chunk of the year over in in Europe, in Switzerland. And we, it wasn't till, oh, probably 10 years of living here that I realised actually we're never going to go back home to Sydney. This is now home. <laughs> and, and, and we love it. And yeah. luckily for us, my parents, my parents, would come up and visit and realise, wow, now we understand why you're here. And it wasn't long before they sold up uh, back in Sydney and moved up and my sister and her partner and my aunties and uncles. And so now I think there's only one uncle or two uncles that actually aren't living up wow. here. Everyone else has moved to Noosa. That's so and, great. I yeah, love so that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. And all of our friends. And since yeah. then it's become a bit like the boulder of of, yeah. of America. It's it's become a real mecca for triathlon. And so all of our friends here live here now. Lots of triathletes are here every year. Yeah. And you're right, Noosa Triathlon has a lot to do with that. And it's still it's still huge. It's yeah. still one of my absolute favourite events. It's a bucket list race for everybody listening. If you want a, a destination race, put that one there. I want to I want to ask BG in a little moment what are, what are other races she think people should put on a on your calendar. Um, but before we do, I want to just keep diving into your career a little bit and uh, give me give me some of the greatest highs that you've had in your career. What what are some of your standout? Performances that if you you sit you're sitting back now that you you've finished racing full time you look back and go wow that was pretty cool definitely the number one and it still is to this day uh, one of my favourite races if not absolute favourite long distance race and it's Challenge Roth mm. um, I I mean I tell people all the time the reasons why it's so special. Uh, and winning it, I, I remember, I distinctly remember being on a training camp down and out in the Australian Snowy Mountains down in Jindabyne and an email came through to me uh, asking if I would 
be interested in taking up an invite to race there. And this was in 2004. So it was the summer, Australian summer of 2004. So I think it was, it might have even been December of 2003. Um, and then I, this invitation came through asking. And, you know, it was the first time I'd ever really been invited mm. uh, to a race of this calibre. And it was including airfares and accommodation and just being t- completely looked after. And it was a race I'd heard of. I'd seen pictures, stories, but I didn't know a huge amount about it. I knew it was a prestigious race and I knew it was something, it was a race that I would definitely would love to do. So we went over in 2004 and, of course, I didn't do a lot of research on my competition. I didn't really know that much about the European athletes and and. Look, looking back now, it was just naivety um, because the European athletes, of course, to this day are still some of the, the best mm. long-distance athletes triathlons ever seen. So I went over there in 2004 to challenge Roth and I got absolutely spoilt rotten, got put up in the most incredible homestay, the Hales, uh, met the met the the owners of the race, the Volsurfer family, um, Felix and his dad, Herbert, who are just the most magnificent people in triathlon Mm. and yeah had a ball really thought that I was going to win remembered remembered getting off the bike with I think a 17 minute lead over Nicole later Mm. and I distinctly remember thinking within the first two kilometers I have got this race won and done before (laughs) the marathon's even at the halfway mark (laughs) well 17 minutes GB come on just Justin was there saying, this is yours, you've oh, got no. this. And I was high-fiving the crowds and, of course, the crowds in Roth are like nothing you've ever seen before. Yeah. And everyone was cheering me on and I was happy. And anyway, I think with the uh, – there was an out-and-back run at that particular point in time and I remember getting to the out-and-back and I still had – I think I still had a good 10 minutes on Nicole at the 21K mark. Mm. And even though I could say I, – and I knew Nicole was a great runner. You know, she's uh, married to Lotha Leder who was also racing and he's an incredible athlete and has run Roth many times. Of course, Mac has had some great ding-dongs mm. with him at that race. And I remember thinking, no, no, don't, don't, don't. I got a little stressed but I thought, no, no, 10 minutes is still 10 minutes. Come on, you've only got 21K left to run. And with about two kilometres to go, you run this section through the forest oh. And I think at about 1.8 to go, she finally caught and passed me and I've never been so deflated in all my oh. life because, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd been leading all day long yeah. and I just assumed that it was it was impossible for someone to run that that quickly. Anyway, I think she ended up running a 2.51 and back in the day wow. that was wow. bloody quick. This before super shoes and everything else. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. no yeah. such <laughs> thing as carbon-plated shoes. This didn't even know what they were. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I was a close second, but it was fantastic. And in, in hindsight, it was a fantastic thing because I went back there in, in 2005 and it was my absolute goal, my, mm. my A race for the year, my number one goal that I was going to win that race. And I did. I went back in 2005 and I think I had a 25-minute lead off the bike. <laughs> I absolutely, I made sure there was no if, buts or maybes about the situation. I think I actually ended up running slower that second year than I did the first year. I think the first yeah. year I ran a, a 3.14 and still got, you know, it set, came home second. Yeah. But in 2005, I, yeah, I think I ran a 3.18, something like that, and, and ended up winning the race. And it was, it was definitely a pivotal point in my career because it, it made me truly 
believe from the inside out that I was where I was meant to be, that giving up my job as I had a great job as a full-time teacher. I was in a fantastic school. Mm. But all those things that you have, little question marks, did I do the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Is this the best thing? Is this going to be my career? Am I good enough? I think so many questions, lingering questions were answered that in that one day um, and I've never looked and I never looked back but that it was a defining moment in my career in 2005 winning that race still the biggest win of my career um, and yeah I've been going back there ever since I've raced Roth 10 times um, I've continued working at that race the Volso for family have become oh, some of the nearest and dearest friends of mine Felix is an absolute superstar. Of course, he took over mm. running the race from his father once his father um, passed away. And they truly are, um, Felix and his sister Catherine, of course, mum Alice are just the most magnificent people you can ever meet. And my homestay family, uh, I've been staying with them now for coming up to 20 years. I, I've, I met them when their little boy Felix, who was named after Felix Walsover, wow. uh, but that, that shows you how crazy triathlon crazy that town is i met them when he was not even one and he's now i think he's just turned 18 or 19 so 19 <laughs> years so it's insane um and they're still very very close friends my parents have stayed with them at christmas time and it's an it's a very special race and i always tell all of the up-and-coming pros it's one of those races that it it doesn't. It may not define your career like it did mine, but it's certainly a very, very important part of an of a triathlete, long distance triathlete's career. Oh, it has to be one of the most iconic events in the world of triathlon, honestly. And uh, even for Laura, you know, it was a she took. You know, she did that. That's as right. One she of her, stayed with my hopes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, she did that <laughs> as one of her final races of her career, just because she wanted she wanted to do that more than she wanted, wanted to, to do Kona. She actually wanted to. Yeah. Be, she wanted to do Roth more than Kona. She's like, no, I look. If you go to Kona, she's like, I need to be somebody that wins Kona. Like, and she's, like, I don't know that I can win Kona, but I, I want to go to Roth and, and experience everything that this event is. And uh, she has no regrets. For her, that was no. like. Uh, I, I have a little bit of regret that I've never done it, but I didn't also have a career in long. I did two Ironmans and yeah. they, they were pretty rubbish. But I, I, it is one of those incredible events that's been around. I remember, like you said earlier, there was, there was Foster, there was the German Ironman, which was Roth, um, and then there was New Zealand and then there was Kona. It was almost like that was the four for the longest yeah, time. It was for a long time, yeah. Yeah, and then so yeah. it took many, many years before sort of we, we got as many Ironman races as we do. So, okay, so that's your greatest high and I just love that. I love that whole story um, <laughs> that you came back and won it. But lowest lows and what have you learned from oh. them? What, what, has there been one particular thing that stood out and that, I mean, you mentioned Foster and DNFing earlier. Is, is there anything else that, you, you know, during your career? Definitely that first mm. attempt at the full distance was something that came close to breaking my heart. I just, it yeah. was never, it was never something that I had even thought about or even had even envisaged happening. That really, I would actually say I was in a state of depression for quite some time after that, hence why I needed to find a race to get that monkey off my back. Uh, the only other, other time that I've ever felt that deflated would have been 10 years later at Kona, the Ironman World Championships. Um, when, and, you know, the Ironman World Championships, every time I did that damn race, it would play out the same way. I'd have a solid swim, get out in the, in the, in the main group, feel good, I'd get on the bike, 
I'd have a great bike ride. I'd come into transition always within the top five, sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. second or third, and then the wheels would fall off on the run. I, you could almost, it was a play-by-play. I, I could, and it was something that I really had a hard time trying to change. Each year I'd go, we'd change the chain, tra- Juzzy and I changed the training up, thinking we could come up with a solution. Um, I was never a great runner, GB, let's be honest. I was a strong athlete. I was mentally strong, um, but I was never a phenomenal runner. It was, it was probably my weakness. And so I was never going to run these ridiculously fast times, but I, I do just enough to, to scrape into the top 10. Mm. But it was getting to a point where that just wasn't no. good enough anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I didn't want to go to Kona and just finish in the top 10. I wanted to go to Kona and, you know, crack the top five or try and, and, and try and get on the podium. Mm. It's, it's quite demoralising when you, you get off the bike and you're in the top three and then all of a sudden you, you finish in ninth place and you're like, what am I doing wrong here? I'm winning Ironman races all around the world. And you're winning hot Ironman. It's not yes, like the heat. Like, I mean, you're winning Malaysia and yeah, some of the yeah, most yeah. brutal China. Ironman. China. Like these are events people try and avoid if they can because they're, so, yeah, they're, so, exactly. they're so hot Well, that's what humid. I thought I yeah. needed to do. I, yeah. I wanted to do everything I could. But then for some reason, whether it was the pressure that just got to me or whether it was just the, at the end of the long year, I raced too much hmm. throughout the year. I, I, you know, we're, we're never going to be 100% sure, um, but I remember this one year, same scenario, solid swim, great bike. I started running along a Leahy Drive. I was running at a decent pace. You turn at the end of a Leahy, I'm coming back, and all of a sudden the wheels are already starting to fall oh, off. Yeah. Now, whether they were falling off physically or mentally or a combination of both, uh, but I, I oh gosh, I distinctly remember Justin being on the side of the road because he, he gave up racing Kona to take care of me. So he said, you know what, I'm never going to have a great Kona, but you are. We're going to put all our eggs in one basket and Kona's going to be all about you. I will be on the sidelines. I will do everything for you leading into the race. And he was on the sidelines cheering me on. And he, I remember the look on his face when I, I turned to him and said, oh, it's the same thing. I feel the same way. I'm, I'm going to run like shit. Da, 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 da. And you know what, I think he just thought, no, I'm not, I'm not going to I'm not going to go through another 42 kilometres of this rubbish again. So he looked at me and goes, you need to make a decision here and now. You either step off the course and we go back to the condo or you pull your finger out of your backside and you run and you do whatever you can. <laughs> and, you know, that's anyone that knows Justin, he, does, he doesn't mince words. No. When, he has, when he says something... It's worth listening to. No, you, you speak for the two of you normally, and then yeah, and then Justin exactly. gets Justin gets a word in, and maybe every ten thousand words here that Justin will throw one in. Oh, yeah. anyway, I I'd love to sit here and tell you that I took the second option, that I pulled my finger out, and I went on to have this great race. But you know, that's not reality, is it? And mm. so I did. I took the soft option, and I stepped off the course. And I remember stepping off the course almost at the exact same moment that McKeeley Jones did as well. And the two of us were sitting on a, a little grass, grassy um, mm. hill at the back of that. We, we'd walked off the course and walked away from the course so no one could see us. And we both had a little cry together and consoled each other. And, um, yeah, I, I DNF'd. And, and still to this day, if there was one thing I would change, it would have been that DNF. Not my first one because I learned so much and got so much from that first DNF in Foster, mm. so I don't regret that DNF. But that DNF 10 years later in Kona, when I walked off the course for no other reason than I knew that I probably wasn't going to get in the top five. I mean, I just, even speaking to you now about it, saying it out loud, gets me so angry 
because it's just it was just the completely wrong attitude to go into a world championship. Yeah, but listen to with. listen to the great story that you you're sharing with all of us, and I think there's this honesty and vulnerability. You know, like we we all yeah. we all like to pretend that we were amazing and so mentally tough the entire time. It's like it's no, not the truth. No, we all get no. tired. We all have bad days. We all have days where. You know, we were undisciplined, where we didn't turn up, where we, this is, this is part of being human as well. So as much as, as much as you're saying there wasn't a lesson learned there, there is for all of us to hear that because I think it's, so there you go. Another 12 years after that, it's a great story to be able to share with all of us. Don't you feel sometimes, (laughs) Jubin, even I do it now as, as, as pro liaison, when I know these athletes, a lot of these athletes personally, but don't you feel particularly age group athletes, they, they look at some of these professional athletes and they do they think they're invincible and they Mm. think that they never make mistakes and that they not that things necessarily come easy to them but that they just don't do anything wrong and even the very best of the best and 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 the Jan Fredinos and let's be honest I I, whenever I talk to professional athletes I always put Jan Fredino in that top box he is he is the pros pro he's the most professional athlete on every level that I've ever worked with or, or, or seen and even he makes mistakes and he'll be the first one to admit it. So I think sometimes uh, we think professional athletes, yeah, that they're just no, these perfect creatures that never never make a boo-boo but no. <laughs> they absolutely do. The one thing is we, we've all got very large egos. We do the very best we can to manage them but from time to time our egos get away from us. From time to time <laughs> we, we're, we're not as strong as we should be. And like It's just... And you're tired. (laughs) I felt Laura and I laugh now about how tired we were the whole time. I mean, and then you freshen up for these moments throughout the year and otherwise you live in a fairly fatigued state. Um, And, you know, we've all done swim squads together. We've swum millions of miles together in some of the pools in Noosa and things. And I think we've all seen ourselves blow up from time to time. (laughs) Well, it's funny funny you should bring that up. Um, Beth McKenzie sent me a picture the other day because, you know, memories come up on Facebook Mm. all the time. And she sent me the funniest picture. And, oh, we had such a chuckle over it. It was was Tio and Rini, you and Laura, uh, myself, Justin. There uh, there was – quite a few others. It was a big mm. ride that we decided it was the big gimpy ride, but it was after a lot of flooding had oh, taken place that. here. Yes, yes, remember the yes. infamous ride where all the roads were, <laughs> we, I think we got to the, the, the furthest point possible on this bloody ride out in the middle of nowhere. It was stinking hot, like 35 degrees Celsius. And we got out there thinking we'd complete the loop. And of course the roads were flooded. I and we that. had no choice but to turn around and, and come all the way, way back. It was a 200k were, plus ride oh, or something. I think that was, uh, was going completely off topic. I think that was when Beth started just dating Luke, if I remember. It was. It was right back in the beginning. Because I remember riding next to her on the way home um, from Croy into Noosa. And very going, early She's days. She's a lovely girl. You know, I remember yes. saying that. Yeah. Well, she actually had a great ride that day. I think yeah, the rest of us have been blown to smithereens <laughs> and Beth was the only one that stayed. I think even Marinda, I got blown popped off the back. Marinda I got in was trouble. Next. I got in a lot of trouble because I, I oh, had one of those days. Oh, Justin got in trouble. I, I, <laughs> Everyone I, got in I trouble. I felt really good that day and I think I was, uh, you know, it was one of those ones where you leave it out on the training course and use. Oh. Up, but I remember going. I remember coming home and everybody going, "Greg, I'm like, okay, sorry, guys." But don't you think that those those particular training sessions, where you know, obviously you you, you leave it all out there on the road, you can laugh about it now. Oh, yeah. But it, um, 
they were character building. They were absolutely character those. building. And I got so much from those training sessions, more so than I ever got from any any sort of race, even a race where I had to dig deep for the win or, or dig deep just to finish. Um, but some of those training sessions were... Oof, yeah, they were, they were tough. I've had you send me some words after some of those rides. <laughs> exactly. I, I've, I might have been squeezing a little too hard when we said we were going to do some kind of pace and I um, I tended to be the one that would like to go a little bit harder than I should have. But look, Love it. you know, your career, your training, it's just so remarkable. What was it like when you decided to, you know, retire from racing and mm. then go, okay, now what am I going to do? What was that transition like for you? You know, it's hard because people, I often get asked, was there one defining moment when you woke up or when you decided, you know what, I'm mm. done. And I don't think any professional athlete, regardless of what sport you're doing, I don't think there's ever one pure defining moment where you wake up and you go, you know what, I don't want to be a professional athlete anymore. Mm. I mean, if we all could we would stay as professional athletes for the rest of our lives because it's such a fantastic lifestyle um, and, and you you basically get to do something you love. And because I started as an age group athlete, made my way to becoming a professional athlete, so I never really I never really started out thinking, yep, this was going to be my career. So I feel I felt very fortunate that I, I actually got, I think, 20-odd years, something ridiculous, as a professional athlete. And... When I was at my, those awards, the Triathlon Australia Awards, a couple of weeks ago and I gave a little bit of a speech, the one thing I did say, GB, was I will never, ever retire from the sport of triathlon. I've retired from being a professional triathlete but I will never, ever fully retire from the sport of triathlon mm. because it's in my blood. It's something that I've done for such a long time now and something that I still have such more, so much passion, even more passion now than I probably did when I was racing. The time when I, I knew that it was it was near the end, was when I just wasn't loving being out on a race course anymore. So I still loved the process. I still loved getting up in the morning and I still loved the long rides. I still even loved the, the, the runs off the bike. Um, so I still loved the process of getting to a start line. But then, and I even the swim in the bike, you know, I'd start the race, you'd have the, I'd still get those nervous jitters before a race. So I knew I was still keen to do well, but somewhere at around the halfway mark of the marathon, I would just be saying to myself, oh, you know what, Belinda, you don't need to, to, to go for a win today, or you don't need to go for top three, or you don't need to go for top five. And I'd start to settle. Mm-hmm. Ah, top 10 will be good enough or then it would move down. Oh, you know what? Just finishing will be good enough. Don't worry. You don't need to prove yourself to anyone anymore. Yeah. And I was just willing to settle for whatever. And I think you and I are very similar. We, was, we were hugely competitive and really we have every time, and I was never afraid, afraid to admit this, every time I stood on a start line I wanted to win. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what an athlete, that's what we were there for. And if you couldn't win, then you wanted to do the next best thing, which was either second or third mm-hmm. or as close as you could to, to, to being in that number one spot. You want to be in spot. the game, yeah. Of course you want to be in the game. Yeah. And so when I was starting to have these little conversations with myself at around the, the you know, 25-kilometre mark, I'm thinking, hold on a second, Belinda, this is not what you signed up for and you're just you're just settling for, for whatever you can and you're just not willing to dig deep and year after year the sport was getting harder and harder and more deeper and deeper in the women's field and 
I was I was going backwards. Mm. So instead of just having one race, I remember sitting down with Justin one night, I think over a glass of wine, saying, well, how are we going to do this, Jazz? Obviously the, the end is nigh, but I don't just want to pick one race because I've just got too many of my favourite races around the world, my favourite distances, my favourite locations, my favourite homestay. So I wanted to do all of my favourite races and then finally retire at the end of the year. So we decided to do a year-long retirement. <laughs> and throughout that year, I chose all of my favourite races. So we had my la- my favorite, last favourite race in Australia. We had my last favourite race in Australia. We had my last full-distance race, my last full-distance race in Europe. And I just chose all the races that I love to do. Uh, and it culminated with the Laguna Phuket Triathlon in Phuket, Thailand yeah. as my very last race. And it usually fell on around my birthday, the 20th of November. And I thought that was the perfect way to go out. And, yeah, so I was lucky enough that it took a whole year. So I had plenty of time to get my head around the idea <laughs> what am I gonna do of next? retirement. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I love and that. I remember being in Kona because I went over to the Ironman World Championships just to watch mm. and to help out because um, obviously I, that certainly wasn't a bucket list race to do. I, just, I, mm. I sat that one out that year. <laughs> and I was um, sitting there with with Felix Volsurfer was there because he went over and watched the race um, and Zibby, Ziflik, from, yeah. he was from Power Bar but also working for Challenge Family. And they said, well, Belinda, what are you going to do with yourself? You know, you've, this is triathlon's been your your one and only thing for 20 years. We don't want to lose you. And I said, well, I don't want to get out of it either. I said, but I really don't know what I can do. And they said, well, if you can write yourself a job, write yourself a role, we'll take you. I mean, what company does that, GB? I got to write my own role. Mm. And so I sat down with Justin and I remember coming up, he goes, well, you know what, you love professional triathlon, you love professional athletes, surely there's a job there with Challenge Family whereby you can take care of them. And so it's it, that's where it started. And, um, yeah, I was lucky enough to then take that to Zibby and to Felix and they were like, you know, we like this idea. There were a few tweaks here and there. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's how that's how I was really, really lucky to go. I, I basically rolled from being a professional triathlete, having a whole year of retirement mm. and then rolling straight into then – um, working on the other side. That's as so a great. Liaison. It's so wonderful to hear because quite often we hear, you know, people that have, you know, whether they're, you know, first responders or military or athletes that, that retire. They lose their weight. And, yeah. and, and they really do. I mean, even mm-hmm. personally, I, I've shared on this show a couple of times, you know, it wasn't the easiest couple of years for me. Like I, I wasn't no. ever in a depressive type state, but it was just kind of like, okay, you know, I, I applied for jobs as a high performance manager for tri- triathlon Australia. I, I did the same with USA triathlon. And, you know, I remember the interviews with triathlon Australia and they're like, well, how do you know how, do you know how to get money out of Canberra, which is our mm. government agency? And I said, well, no, but I would have assumed I just asked, but anyway, I, um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that didn't fly. And, and I remember no. thinking, oh, you know, I thought the whole idea of a high performance manager is somebody that understands high performance. And and so I, I kind of left there and I was a little bit out in the wilderness. And, and so it took a little while to sort of figure out what to do next. So, you know, it's wonderful that you, you did transition very well. And that doesn't mean it hasn't, you know, you haven't had your work cut out. I mean, you've got to deal with professional triathletes a lot. And I was one of them. And I know that's not a piece of cake. <laughs> so <laughs> how's that been? It's not. 
It's not, but you know, I think having been one for so many years and, yeah. and obviously been through quite a few different eras through triathlon. So when it was really, really good and there was a lot of appearance money to be made, prize money was still fairly good. And of course, back then, uh, making money in euros or US dollars when you lived in Australia, it was <laughs> amazing. You know, it was double, sometimes even more when you came back home. So I, I've been through the highs and lows. And then it was obviously very, very difficult times when it was hard to make ends meet. And, and so I, I think, and because I didn't have time away from the sport, I was able to go straight in with this fresh in my mind. So I was able to take, uh, sympathy is not the word I want to use here, but just having a, a full understanding of how difficult it was for some professional athletes, mm. um, but also then being able to work for them and then also from the other side working for race directors and helping choose athletes that I thought would be best for their particular event, mm. um, depending on where it was, what sort of audience they were looking for, that they had and what sort of athlete they were looking for. And I think to, to this day that's probably what my strength is, is just finding that right fit mm. of athlete um, and race and just genuinely caring about the professional athletes and wanting them to be able to experience the same great career, lifestyle career, whatever you want to call it, that I had in the sport. I want athletes to be able to experience that because it was bloody marvellous. And so yeah. the more athletes that can have that, then that makes me happy. I mean, I, I, mean, I get a nickname as Mother Hen and I, I don't know if it's because I, I, I come from a teaching background and because I really do genuinely have that, those Mother Hen instincts, but I, I want athletes to be able to to experience what I have. Would you say that the sport has now with the, the PTO, the Professional Triathlete Organization, with Clash, with Challenge Family, Ironman, obviously the World Triathlon, now there seems to be a lot of ways a professional athlete can have a career mm-hmm. and, and there seems pretty good opportunity to, to make a pretty decent living. Do you think it's in a pretty good state right now? I do and I'll tell you why this is, is, is such an incredible time for triathlon because obviously we've just been through the pandemic which was a horrible time for everyone even Mm. even for a lot of athletes it was Mm. you know a lot had to go back to work a lot had to get themselves full-time jobs again and I've spoken to many athletes who've been in that predicament but coming out of the other side I mean I get honestly if you could see me now I've got goosebumps on my arms because it is such an exciting time for triathlon Uh, working with challenge family we've just announced I think five or six new races Mm. all around the world, events are starting to boom again. And, and okay, it's not going to happen instantly, but we are in such a good place and the PTO are such a large part of that. I, If I could change anything now, it would be that I wish we had the PTO when I was racing. Could you imagine, GB, if we had the PTO when you and I were racing? Oh, yeah. The maternity clause that they've got, that every athlete in the top 100, uh, top 100 gets paid. Yeah, It's amazing. The, the race opportunities that they are bringing, that they have that they have brought, the, you know, there were so many races that they they put a stack of money into, into prize purses to keep these races, not just keep the races going, but to keep the professional athletes going throughout the pandemic. And now moving forward to next year, uh, we know that they're going to have four races. Um, three of them are going to be worth a million dollars. One of them, the Collins Cup, obviously $1.5 million. This is serious money, mm. um, which I would have loved oh, to have had 100%. the opportunity of, of being a part of back in the day. And I was lucky enough, Sam Renouf and his uh, gorgeous wife were here in Noosa for a couple of days not so long ago and I got to have lunch with him here in, here in Noosa and just talking to him and, and, and talking about things to come. And honestly, it just brings a smile to my face right now because I, I really do think the professional 
triathlon is in an exceptionally good place. And I know it's not perfect. So we'll have listeners out there or professional athletes going, hold on a second. Oh, no, 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 no. But it's all attempting to, I mean, it's, it's trying to be better. And I don't think there's anybody out there saying it's perfect. I love the fact that PTO yeah. just had another really great funding round. Uh, their Series B, I think they just had a couple of really big investors coming in. And, yeah. and you know, so for me, that sh- indicates, you know, it's one thing to have a good first funding round and having, you know, Sir Michael Moritz write, you know, big, big checks. Uh, you know, checks, yeah. he's you know one of the the greatest VCs of all time, but then to have it come around and he's reinvested some, and then there's a whole bunch of others that have joined him. For me, that starts to say, hey, we have a product. This is you know this, this is, is actually serious. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. when mm-hmm, you start to look mm-hmm. at these Series B funding funding rounds, it really does indicate. First funding rounds are always like, hey, this could be good. Second funding rounds like, oh, well, I don't want to miss out. This this is no, something. I I I need. I, I not only I want. I need to be a part of this. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, I think so that's cool. what we're seeing now. Yeah. And just being a part of the PTO races the last couple of years, particularly this year, uh, and seeing that in action, and mm. just seeing not just the event itself, but how the professional athletes behave. Um, it's just it's so pro. It's and so it's, cool. It's exactly what we want and it's only going to get better and the professional athletes are only going to get better at, at r- truly becoming a professional sport. Yeah, like, right. It's been it, fun it's watching people like Ashley Gentle, one of my all-time yes. favourites. You oh, know, she went, had a couple of wins and, and some big paydays, especially after this. They just got married a couple of weeks ago too, her and Josh they Hamburger. Yes, and, I was, um, you I was know. at their wedding, which yeah. is very, very yeah, oh, very that's exciting. Very cool. I mean, I just, look, at the end of the day, if, if I could see all these professional triathletes and they're all making a decent six-figure income, you know, and I'm talking about the best, obviously, you got to still have it where the best are getting rewarded. Uh, it just makes a sport. It's, it's in a really great spot. It really is. Here, here's a question for you. What would you tell your 18-year-old self now? Oh, good question. And can I remember what I was like at 18? <laughs> Do you know, <laughs> it's a long time ago now, GB. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. When you were just graduating high school. Yeah. Do you know, I was lucky enough. I have my parents to thank for this. My mum, who has been such an incredible role model. Uh, my dad was the one that got me into sport in the first place. Both my parents were very, very sporty. Mm. My dad was the first person to get me into running, and I still remember running with him nearly every afternoon. We had a 7K loop we used to do back in Sydney, and we'd have some of the most incredible during those runs where he basically would tell me that anything was possible, that don't stop dreaming, don't ever shut an idea or a dream down mm. uh, without it first trying. And my mum, my mum was an incredible feminist and still is to this day and she was always the first one to say, dream big. So I don't know if I would change anything that I would actually say to my 18-year-old self because I I think I was extremely lucky. I was extremely lucky to be brought up in a family that was very forward-thinking. My mum and dad travelled when they were very young, which is quite unusual for that that era. Mm. They spent... Uh, when they, they got married young, I think my mum was, they were married when my mum was only 19, but they travelled, lived in Brazil because my dad was an engineer, lived in Brazil for many years, lived in London for many years. So they were quite worldly. And I was lucky enough that they, that's what they wanted me to do. They knew how incredible it was, how it really helped shape them as, as human beings. And they wanted that for me. So there was never one point in time when I t- told mum and dad after finishing my career, uh, my, my degree as a teacher, I taught for 12 years and I said, you know what, I'm giving it up to become a 
triathlete. Normally, I think parents would be like, what are you doing? That's ridiculous. They were like, this is amazing. You go for it. Mm -hmm. And I still remember they were fully behind it. They said, you know what, if you have to come back home and live with us just till you get on your feet, till you get started, no problem. We can do that. You know, and they were so supportive. So I'm not sure I changed anything. Maybe, maybe if I could have started doing it a little earlier, and this is just being greedy now. (laughs) 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 I could have been a bit younger because I don't think I I really started racing like properly till my mid to late 20s. And, you know, now we've got athletes. I mean, look at someone like Magnus Ditlev. Mm. Oh, these 23, 24, 25-year-olds are Yeah, Kyle Smith, Clement Mignon, and they're already (laughs) incredible and they're doing long-distance racing and they're already up there in the best in the world. Um, So, you know, maybe if I – could have started just a couple of years um, <laughs> earlier, but you know that's just that's just been I love being it. a little bit greedy. All right, next one. Who would you want to have dinner with? Non-family, but they can be living or dead. Three people. Oh, I know you've got me. And I did look at this question. I know I well, knew this I was going to be asked. I didn't. I didn't actually ask for three people. Yeah. I did just say one. I had one person there, but I've, person. I've just thrown a curveball at you, and I said three. <laughs> <sighs> Well, this is the problem with me, GB, and it goes back to that that greedy, greediness, the being greedy again. I, and I think you know this, I love a dinner party. Yeah. And I think still to this day one of my favourite dinner parties that I ever had was at our house and it was Rinny and Tio, you and Laura, and was it Luke and Beth and yeah. there was one other Jan couple there. Jan was there too, no? Yeah, it might have even been Jan and Emma. And honestly it was one of the best nights and, I distinctly remember the drug testers turning up that night mm, and because mm. they were drug testing me <laughs> and I said to them, I said, well, listen, yeah, I said, actually, now that you're in Noosa, I'm pretty sure that every other person on your bloody list is sitting and at we, this dinner table. That was so funny. And one by one you went upstairs uh, and were drug, yeah, so anyway, um, so I don't know if I could do just three. Uh, that's difficult. Yeah. But it would definitely, the ideal, the ideal situation for me is, Good food, good friends, and a few bloody good bottles of wine, and mm. I'm the happiest person in the world. I love that. There was one of those dinner parties. We had several at your house there, and you, you were always very generous with dinner parties. And I do remember, I think Emma might have been away, and Jan, Jan was there, and he was telling us some stories. I remember laughing so hard, and I, I'm not going to repeat them on this show. Um, <laughs> Some good stories. <laughs> Surprised us all. Anyway, um, next one. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? That, now, that's a good question because that's something that I sit down and I constantly ask myself. Mm. Um, it's funny because I thought once I got my full-time job with Challenge Family as Pro Liaison that I would be quite content and that would be it. End of story. Still in the sport of triathlon, still working with professional athletes, still working with events all over the world. What more could I want? But then I started um, accidentally on purpose getting into some uh, symptom commentary mm. and now I, I love that because, as I say, I, I basically get paid to talk about a sport that I love and about people I love. You so and me both. What, you and me both. What I love it. better job. Mm. So working at the moment, you know, working for Clash Endurance, incredible team, working for Keith D'Alessandro from NASCAR Productions. I don't think I've ever worked with such a professional Incredible. I mean, you know, you've met Keith, mm. marvellous man Keith. and mm. his crew, working for Challenge Family, working for the PTO, Martin and his crew there, the PTO team, absolutely love it. But then again, this year, because, you know, three jobs wasn't enough, I started working for Macca and Phoenix, 
And for the first time in a very, very long time, I've gone back to my grassroots of teaching and working for the Phoenix Futures Camps. And we recently had a camp in Thailand. And honestly, I literally cried at the end of this camp because I enjoyed it so much. And it brought back so many old memories of teaching. And the reason that I very first decided to become a teacher when I left school, and it was the most incredible bunch of young adults that I've an inspiring bunch of young adults that I've mm. ever met mm. talking about stories and, and working with Macca and some of the stories he has to tell. And I, I, I would go down and, and say that Chris McCormack is the best storyteller in the world. Hand, <laughs> hands down. Hands oh, down. Hands I down. couldn't agree with you more. Uh, the guy, the guy is just brilliant. amazing the way Absolutely he can share brilliant. stories. So, yeah. Oh, unbelievable. And I can sit and talk to him for ages about these stories of the old days. Some of these stories I've heard three or four times, but it doesn't matter. Mm. They never, they never get boring. So, yeah, where would I like to be in five years' time? I'd like to be <laughs> maybe another like three still- jobs. Let's see if yeah. we can. <laughs> <laughs> how many? How many can I do? But the reason I got into triathlon is because I never wanted to rest on my laurels and get bored mm. of, of of what I was doing, and and I'm at a point right now where I'm just not. Well, the sport's so exciting right now. Too. It's exactly, so exciting. It it's is. like it's like all those companies that you're working for. Every single one exactly. of those They've people. They've got so much to give. There's so yep. much to give and they yep. all want to change the world yep. and help the sport and there's yep. an energy about it where everybody's just trying to get more out oh, of life. you've nailed right? it. And, you've and, absolutely and, nailed and it. And when you're in me. that energy and surround yourself with those people, it's amazing how you just, yeah, you want to keep, like I had to make a very hard decision this year to to turn down doing the work with the PTO because I've just, yep. my, my plate was too full. And, uh, and that, that was a really hard decision. <laughs> I had meetings with Sam Renouf, who, and he's a lovely guy. I've had I've had him on the show oh, actually, and uh, and I love everything doing it. But I honestly, I just couldn't afford the travel. Um, and and that was I was so bummed. I was so bummed. But it was one of those I have to let it go. Um, and uh, anyway, let's finish off with some rapid fire, fast twitch muscle fiber questions. You know, I don't have many of those. <laughs> <laughs> But these are a bit of fun. These are just a bit of fun um, and they're meant to be done quick. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. One book you would recommend? Mark Beretta's um, Best Sporting Moments. Nice. I love it. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. Nice. For Australians, I think. Well, actually, there's a lot of great moments in there, but particularly for Australians, I think a lot of these great sporting moments will resonate. I love it. History-making moments. Two most used apps on your phone. Instagram, <laughs> Instagram, without a doubt, uh, and Spotify. There you go, Instagram and Spotify. Nice. Okay, great. Would be my my two toughest triathlon race in the world. Challenge Wanaka, the full distance. Wow, harder especially than, when the wind is blowing. Harder than up doors. Up to Wes, I Yeah, thought. well, up to Wes, I did do up to Wes, and yeah. I remember I was second there once. Oh, you've done all the that toughest races. Tough. That's why I'm asking okay, you this true, question. True. Toughest, I think the one year I did um, that I'm thinking of with Wanaka was it was the old course, one big single loop down to Cromwell and it was a headwind all the way home. And I remember laughing to myself thinking I'm never even going to make it back to bloody transition. (laughs) The girl that was leading got blown off her bike. That's how bad it was and I ended up winning by default. So it it was a crazy, crazy day. So, yeah, Challenge Wanaka was the toughest for sure. I love it. Okay, first job you ever had. I first job I ever had was a gym instructor at 17 years of age mm. at White City in Sydney. 
Love it. Was that an like aerobics, a, an aerobics instructor? I was going to say, was that in the time of the aerobics and, and tube socks? <laughs> yeah, yeah high, high, long socks and, and high high top Reeboks, baby. Yeah, the, the Reebok, step Reebok and Reebok pumps. And, and leotards worn up the outs, on the outside of the tights. Oh, yes. God help us. <laughs> yes. Have you got any photos you can share? I need to see oh, that. I got photos, honey, but none that I'm going to share with you. Oh, please. <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. All right. Well, that kind of leads into the next question. Out of of 10, how cool are you? That's interesting. Um, Some days I wake up and I think I'm really cool. And I think it's, I know it's supposed to be, supposed to be rapid fire questions. There's nothing's ever rapid fire with me, let's be honest. Um, Sometimes I think that's the reason that I love hanging around all the, all the young, cool triathletes because I think surely if I hang around with these young 24, 25 year old males and females, their coolness is going to rub off on me and I will be, I'll be one of the cool kids. But look, some days I feel really young and cool and hip and you are super cool, BG. No, there are other days when I feel old and I can barely get out of bed. (laughs) I I have a hard time putting my bloody underpants on. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. I have to stretch down with one hand. What's going on? Steady, steady on the wall with the other hand. I'm like, how did I used to do transitions? I know. I I sit down and put running shoes on and (laughs) Beth McKenzie – Beth McKenzie, who's my best friend um, yeah. up here, and we, we do a lot of like go for runs and laugh, laugh yeah. and chuckle. And she's called it the called it the lasso, the lassoing method. So <laughs> you know, lasso the undies on. But she's uh, I love hanging around with Beth because she's she's still in her forties, so she's nice and young, and it it's good. I, I pretend I'm in my forties, not my fifties. Yeah, they're still mobile. <laughs> All right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, an easy one for you. Can a vegetarian eat animal crackers? Oh, interesting. I would say <laughs> yes. No, I know. Of course you can. Actually, I haven't seen I haven't seen animal crackers for a long time. I know. Do I they know. still exist? Do they still exist? Well, we're probably not allowed to have them anymore because I don't know. It hurt the animals. Yeah, no, there'll be something. There's something mm. wrong with them. That's yeah. right. <laughs> All right. Which decade of music is best? Oh, now this is an interesting one for me because you know, you normally you would think I would say seventies or eighties given that I am a 70s child and mm-hmm. that, you know, by the 80s that was cool. But I actually love music today. The, if you look at all my Spotify lists, it's all the music of today. I just went to Fisher concert about two months ago. So I I love, and it is a lazy way of doing music, but I love it when the DJs of today do yeah. remixes and retakes of the old stuff. That's what I, it brings I back, agree. It brings back memories but it's been updated and it's cool. and It's yeah, got a so. nice beat. Yeah, I agree. That's, exactly. a, that's a good choice. Exactly. I like that. All right, here's, a, here's an easier one for you. Favourite race, favourite triathlon race. Okay. Now, th- you would think this is an easy one. Favourite full-distance race is, without a doubt, unequivocally Challenge Roth. Favourite Ironman race is Penticton, Ironman Penticton mm-hmm. in Canada. Absolutely love that race. Favourite destination race is Laguna Phuket Triathlon. Okay. Told you it was never going to be easy with no, me. No, that's good. That, that was a solid three. And I, I think I've only done the Phuket out of all of those, and, and I agree. I think that's a wonderful way to finish off the year. And, and people should put Phuket. Actually, could you do the Noosa Phuket double for people coming from the US or Europe? Uh, you could. You'd have to base – what you do is base yourself in, in, in Noosa. So you yeah. come over, do the Noosa try, base yourself in Noosa, little training camp here. And then head straight over so to about five weeks apart, right? Four or five weeks yeah, apart. Yeah, yeah. Not even, not even that. Four weeks, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. That's a great this trip is, for this people is the listening. beginning of November. Yeah, yeah. People do so, that. November. Actually, it might, only, it might only be three weeks. Twentieth of November is yeah. the normal 
weekend for Phuket, and it's yeah, it's fantastic. This year was amazing. We had a great group of professional triathletes oh. come over, and it was w- wonderful. You're still putting them up at the banyan tree, and oh, of course, I love that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I remember Terenza Bazzoni uh, uh, was always my neighbor. There, <laughs> it was just we had it's good unreal. times. Yeah, really good it times. It really is unreal. Yeah. No, All right, where brilliant. is somewhere in the world that you haven't been that you'd like to go? Oh, do you know what? You'd think that would there would be not too many places, but there's actually quite a few. I've never been to South America, so I would absolutely wow. love, love, yeah. love, love to go to Brazil, particularly because my parents lived there for many years in Sao Paulo. Huh? So I would love to visit Brazil or anywhere in South South America, to be honest. Mm. Um, and then one place I'd love to go, obviously Spain is my favourite, favourite country in Europe. And I, we stay with very, very dear friends that live down in Marbella. And on a clear day, you can see Morocco. I would love to go to Morocco. I love Morocco. You've so never really been to Morocco? Never been to Morocco, oh. so I'd love to go there. Yeah, yeah. It's just I've so. never been to a place where bike riding is the priority over anything else. So every yeah. single hotel in its basement has like a bike shop and bikes to rent and you don't even need to travel with your own bikes there's so many you can just rent bikes there and they're great bikes they're not like crappy bikes you know and everybody there's just amazing bike riding going over it's like unbelievable um so i love that yeah perfect bg you got a big year coming up again I always Again. love these conversations. I honestly, I want to make you a bit more of a regular. I can't believe it's taken this long to get you on the show because I think we we can dissect the sport a lot together. I think we could make this something. If you're up for it, I'd love to have you back Absolutely. on the show every few months. To. I always feel like you've got the inside scoop. You know the athletes, you know the sport inside out. And, um, you know, and it's just a thrill. You know, you've been a longtime friend of more well, mine and then, you know, Laura later. And uh, it's just so great to catch up. I really enjoy this so thanks for coming on oh thank you and gb you know that's probably the greatest thing that i've ever taken from this sport it's not it's not the money or the career or the titles it's friendships and all of my bestest friends in the world are all triathletes either currently or retired or somewhere in between and i wouldn't want it any other way it's just one of the greatest we're so grateful right i mean look at what we got given from the sport and that's why it's nice to be on the other side to be able to give back a little bit i mean definitely you know we both got careers we both got our partners from the sport we 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 got to travel the world we got to make friends i mean we're very very blessed very very grateful and and you know one of my favorite things is just to be able to have these conversations and and try and bring some of the athletes alive that are in the sport and the coaches and everybody else to just so listeners can just get a sense for what's going on in the world of triathlon so totally this was awesome this was really fantastic. Yeah. So thanks for coming on again. No problem, darling. Thanks for having me. All right. And thanks for everybody for listening. Um, you can find all the show notes and timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.